Hey, this is Christian Golden. Welcome to our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message encourages you. I hope it builds you up. Enjoy the message. Have you ever wondered what does it mean to be anointed? We're going to talk about the anointing this morning. And I thought I had a good understanding of it until I started studying it. And that's kind of what happens when I think I know something. And uh, usually Pastor or, or Charlie would inform me that I really don't know what I think I know and for me to go study it. So if you don't know that what you think you know, I would encourage you to go study it. So I started studying about the anointing and wondering what it was and what does it mean to be anointed? What is the anointing of God? Who is anointed? How do I know if I am anointed? And are there different kinds of anointings? How do I receive an anointing? Have you ever wondered that? How do you receive an anointing? How does God anoint people? Is it through laying on the hands? Does it have to be through a pastor? Or does it have to be through the tra- uh, transfer of touching somebody? What is an individual anointing and what is a corporate anointing? I know that's a mouthful. And we're going to kind of touch a little bit on each section, okay? So, but if we're going to understand the anointing, the first thing we have to recognize is that God anoints his people for his purpose, okay? He anointed Jesus for a purpose, and he anoints us, his children, for a purpose. He anointed you, and he anointed me for a purpose. Sometimes these anointings last for a season. Sometimes they're for a day. Sometimes they're for a moment. But he does anoint us. And don't get it mistaken that just because you're, you like to do something, that doesn't mean you're anointed. Just because you're good at something doesn't mean you're anointed. When I was growing up, I was really good at fighting and boxing people's heads. And Charlie would attest to that. But God did not anoint me to fight people. I was really good in high school at running from campus police when I wanted to skip school. They couldn't catch me. I could even beat Daryl Bailey if he was my age back then. But I was not anointed for that. I was really good and fast at running. But people are good at a lot of things. There are secular musicians in this world who promote the kingdom of darkness and all the evil that comes along with it. They're really good at being musicians, but that doesn't mean they're anointed. And there are people who are very talented at causing you a dump truck load of extra anxiety and grief but that don't make them anointed. Just because you're good at something doesn't mean you are anointed. So I want to look at some scriptures this morning, and I, I, I failed to do my part of the job and hand the scriptures to the sound booth, so let's just open your Bibles. Do y'all know what a Bible is? They're coming rare more and more these days because everybody's on tablets and phones, and that's good. Open your tablet or your phone to Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. And it says... How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power and went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. So what's the first thing you notice in this scripture? What I notice, we notice first of all what the scripture doesn't say. That's the first thing that I noticed. How God anointed Jesus the Son of God with the Holy Spirit. That's not what it says. And I hope you caught that. What it says is that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the man. And what so many Christians don't understand is that even though Jesus was the only begotten son of God, he left all his power. 
in heaven. And he left all of his glory in heaven. And he came to earth in the same form as every other man. Philippians 2.8, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Hebrews 2.17, therefore in all things he had to be made like his brothers, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And I know that was a mouthful too. That's what I told God. But what exactly does all that mean? It means that Christ took on himself a human body. God knew that his children would need a sympathetic priest to help us in our weakness. He allowed his son to suffer, and through his suffering, he equipped us, equipped Jesus for his ministry. Christ didn't need perfecting, since he is God. But as the the God-man, he endured suffering to prepare himself to meet our needs. He was made flesh at Bethlehem, John chapter 1. Verse 14, he was made unlike unto his brethren during his earthly life, and he was made sin at the cross, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Now, he was a merciful and faithful high priest. Jesus was born as a man. Jesus lived on earth as a man, and as a man, Jesus didn't have any more power than you or I. That's what we forget sometimes as Christians. We think that Jesus came to earth as God Jesus. He came to earth as man Jesus, and he, we identify with him. If he says, if he did it, we can do it. And there was the perfect reason that he went through that. Jesus hungered, and he thirsted as a man. When, at the John chapter 4, when he went to the well and met the woman at the well in Samaria, he was thirsty. He was hungry. It's okay for us to be hungry. It's okay for us to be thirsty. Jesus was tired. He wanted to sit down and rest. It's okay for us to get tired. Ministry will wear you out. It will wear you smooth out, especially the higher you climb up the ladder. But Jesus suffered as a man, and we suffer too. And it helps us, it helps me to look at people, and even Jesus Christ, my Savior, who suffered and died on the cross, to know that somebody else suffered as well as me. Not that I was dying for humanity, but we all have our different sufferings. And I, I have conversations where people will say something to me and say, oh, I know what I'm going through ain't near as bad as what your wife is going through. And, and I say, you know, it may not be to me, but it might be to you. Right. And the point isn't who's suffering the worst. The point is that Jesus suffered and that we can all suffer together, Amen. you know, and love each other through it and come beside each other. Jesus died as a 100% human being. He did not die as God. He died as a man. The anointing will bring you power. One thing that I want you to know and understand is that Jesus never did one miracle, not one miracle, until he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. It was only after the Holy Spirit descended upon him that he began his earthly ministry. John the Baptist, as he was baptizing Jesus, looked up and saw the heavens open and the Holy Spirit like a dove falling upon Jesus Christ. The next time that I heard about the heavens being opened was Stephen as he was being martyred in the book of Acts where he looked up and saw the heavens open and the son of God sitting at the right hand of the father and that's where Paul Saul of Tarsus was introduced as he stood by as Stephen was stoned to death Matthew 3 16 when he had been baptized Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove 
and alighting upon him. And regardless of what we think, regardless of what people tell you, there is no biblical evidence that Jesus ever performed any miracles or did he enter into his ministry until after he received the Holy Spirit and the power that comes with the infilling or the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's also important to to make a note that Jesus also told his disciples before he left the earth to do not go anywhere or do anything, not even to witness until they had received the anointing or the baptism, as some call it, of the Holy Spirit. Luke 24, 49, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but wait in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So what's the difference between the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the infilling of the Holy Spirit? I had somebody ask me that a while back when I wasn't studying it, and I didn't really have an answer, so I had to go and research it. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is given by the Father to every person who repents and believes in Jesus Christ. That moment when you say, you know, we're, is a, we all have a, a measure of faith from birth, whether you're a Christian or not. That measure of faith is what gives us the ability to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Once we ask Jesus Christ to be our Savior, then we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 through 22. This is the spiritual baptism into Christ, or as many people call it, the new birth. Being born again. Salvation. How many of you have been born again? How many of you have asked Jesus to be your Savior? How many of you have, once you get born again, you receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which is separate from the infilling The infilling of the Holy Spirit is, it's a gift that's offered to the children of God. How many of y'all have been infilled with the Holy Spirit? How many of you have gifts? Every hand in here should be raised. We all have gifts. We all have talents. We all have something that God has given us to, to help us in the ministry. Not our ministry, his ministry. If you're glorifying, using your gifts to glorify your kingdom, it's going to fall by the wayside. But if you're using your gifts to glorify God's kingdom, for whatever season it is, it will be glorified for Christ. It is a gift offered to the children of God and is the power from on high. In Luke chapter 24, when Jesus promised to his disciples, this is also called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The the infilling is received through faith and prayer. Through faith and prayer. And it also may be through the laying on of hands that you receive the Holy Spirit. I personally would like the Holy Spirit to indwell and infill everybody without anybody having to put hands on them. For the simple reason, when people get around and they start putting hands on people and the Holy Spirit starts moving, a lot of people give credit and glory to the man who's doing the praying. It doesn't have to be that way. When you look at the the 120 that was in the upper room in in, in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit came down, they were all in one accord. They were all praying, and nobody put hands on anybody. And the Holy Spirit came upon them with cloven tongues of fire. I want everything that I do to glorify God, not because of something, an outward experience. And when we we get focused on this guy, oh, we got to go to this guy because he can heal you. Or we got to go to this guy because he can fill you with the Holy Spirit. 
Now what we're doing is we're taking the glory from God and we're putting it on the man. It's just like in... Get ahead of myself. The infilling is received through faith and prayer, but it can be laid through the laying on of hands. I've seen pastor pray for many people and lay his hands on people, and they've slayed in the spirit. Some of them fall out, some of them don't. I used to fall down every time somebody touched me because everybody else was falling down. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what it was meant, but it's real. I experienced that at youth camp with Charlie Goodson. I was so scared. Holy Spirit came upon me and Jared Golden. We fell on the ground, and we was laughing. I think you were there, Samantha. And we were laughing so hard, it, it just ripped every muscle in our stomach. And I looked over, and Charlie was laid out on the ground in the Holy Spirit. And I got scared, and I ran over there, and I started beating on his chest. And, and Nancy came and said, calm down, Tim. It's okay. It's the Holy Spirit. I didn't understand it. I thought the guy that I love more than anybody in this world was having problems. So I learned some things. I experienced some things early on. The filling is received through faith again, and it can be through the laying on of hands. Receiving the, holy, the infilling of the Holy Spirit gives us power to overcome sin, and it gives us boldness to witness. It gives us divine comfort. It gives us fellowship with Christ and a fuller manifestation of the spiritual gifts. When I was infilled with the Holy Spirit, when I got saved, I was indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And the way I kind of picture that is if you take a bucket of water and you have this, this uh, coffee can, and you stick this coffee can in the bucket, the coffee can is indwelt with the water. But if you take that can and you put it up under a water spigot, a water hose that we used to drink out of in the trailer park I grew up in because mama wouldn't let us in the house, and you fill the coffee can up, it overflows. That's the infilling. So there's an indwelling and an infilling. When I got infilled with the Holy Spirit, I was on the job site, and I was out doing evangelism and outreach. And y'all, I've shared that many times, but that's when God infilled me with the Holy Spirit. That's when all these things started happening. This boldness came over me that I could go and stand in front of somebody, a whole table full of construction workers trying to eat their lunch and ask them, hey, do you need prayer for anything? And they would look at me like I'm stupid. That was the infilling of the Holy Spirit. That was the boldness that came with it. And and it gives us a fuller manifestation of the spiritual gifts. The indwelling and the infilling are distinctly different. The indwelling spirit reproduces the life of Jesus in the heart of a believer unto salvation. The infilling or the outpoured spirit produces the ministry of Jesus with power and boldness. How many of you have boldness? How many are you bold for Christ? There's there's many different kinds of anointings, but none of which are without more importance. And yet the most important thing for us to realize is that Every born-again child of God has received the Spirit of God, and with that, an anointing of the Spirit. Every born-again child of God has received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Not to be confused with the infilling or the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which is a completely separate experience, but every born-again believer has received the Spirit of God. And on these different kinds of anointings, such as the fivefold ministry gifts, Found in Ephesians chapter 4.11, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. But that's not all. 
A lot of times we think that only these five people are anointed. Only these five offices, if you will, within the body are the only ones that get anointed. It's not. There are special anointings in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 17 through 11. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For the profit of all. Not for us, the profit of all. One is given the word of wisdom through the Holy Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith. To another, gifts of healings. To another, working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. And I want you to catch this in verse 11. But one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. There are certain times in life where God will come upon you, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and give you a boldness to do something. He may come upon you on outreach one day to reach down and pray for somebody and put hands on them and they'll be healed. That doesn't necessarily mean you've been anointed with the gift of healing. You may have to have one day go to the hospital and somebody's sick and God may come, the Holy Spirit come upon you and give you this spirit, this anointing of faith for that moment to speak things into existence, to boldly proclaim some things. That doesn't mean you've been anointed to have that. And there are special anointings in the area of helps and administrations and other such things. 1 Corinthians 12, 28. There are different anointings for different areas of ministries. And I want to touch on some of these anointings for just a minute. When God calls someone into the fivefold ministry, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher, he anoints them with supernatural power. And the ability to carry out the office, the functions of that office, if you will, I call it an office for sake, for lack of a better term. It doesn't mean we're, we're a government. But... I'm calling it an office, so just bear with me. But when you understand this, it becomes easy to recognize those who are anointed by God for the office they stand in. If you, you, when somebody says they're anointed, all you have to do is sit back. You'll see it. They're either going to do what God says they're going to do, and one surefire way to know if somebody's anointed, again, is to be patient, watch them, see what their attitudes are, see who are they promoting, are they promoting Jesus Christ or are they promoting themselves? If you're anointed for something, everything you do and say and act upon is going to be a direct path to Jesus Christ. That's the Holy Spirit anointing. If you're not anointed, then you're just up here blowing air, hot air. And people listen to it, but they're not receiving it. And it doesn't take long to realize. And let me give you an example. I am not anointed to do the sound booth. I can turn it on and I can push buttons. That's about it. I didn't even know I needed to turn my mic on this morning. I am not anointed in that area. And it wouldn't take you but five minutes for me to get in that sound booth for you to realize, where's the anointed guy at? Where's Christian? You know, the same with, the, with, with music. If I got on the keyboard, it wouldn't take you but a minute to realize this guy is not anointed to do the keyboard. And everybody be hollering for Gabe. And one of the reasons I say that is we got to know what our anointing is and we got to work within that anointing. Because when I start getting outside of my anointing and get into somebody else's anointing, then you're treading on thin ice. It's a slippery slope. God anoints those, those, the fivefold 
area of ministry with special supernatural power. The ability to carry out the functions of that office. And when we fully understand it, it becomes easy to recognize that those who are called and anointed by God for that office. But it also becomes easy to recognize when someone is not called and anointed to that office. And I want to mention here that no one should ever attempt to stand in the office, or stand in a position of one of these five-fold ministry gifts unless God has called you to do that. Because with it, one thing that I've learned through a Pastor Paul is when you cross that threshold, if you will, into that area of ministry, things change. The spiritual warfare increases more on your life than it does somebody who just got saved. And the reason for that is because Satan understands the anointing that's on your life, and he doesn't want you to get up there and preach and teach and spread God's word. So he's going to throw everything he can at you, and it's not just one and done. It's a continuous process. I've watched Pastor go through so many difficulties in his life because of the anointing that he had at that level that he was at. And I look at some of the, the things in my life with, that I'm going through right now with the anointing that God has given me for, that my wife is going through, that my kids are going through, and that I'm going through some things personally in my life right now. And it doesn't surprise me that Satan's attacking. It doesn't surprise me that he's coming against God's chosen people. But I'm not the only one anointed. We're all anointed. We all have a gift. And if we start using the gifts of the anointing that God has given us, yes, things are going to get worse before it gets better. You didn't think it was going to be easy, did you? And, and personally, on a side note, that's where I struggle as a Christian. When we're out evangelizing and we're witnessing and we're winning people to Christ, we tell them, oh, it's going to be great. Come to church. God will answer all your needs. Cast all your cares upon him. But what we fail to tell them is that difficulty comes. And I almost feel like we should tell them in the same sentence. Oh, praise God, you're saved, but get ready. Because we set them up for failure. And we don't tell them when they get anointed that Satan's coming at them. It can bring you harm, great harm to your body. You look at Job. I always go back to Job. He was doing what he was supposed to be doing. And he was, Satan came and just wreaked havoc on him time and time again. And they're special anointings. So every born-again person has the Spirit in them. You know, I've often wondered, looking around, and, and when you look around the, of God's creation, how come every continent, every tribe, every person has this thing that they worship to? How come they have these things that they sacrifice to? Because it was put into the hearts of men when God created us to worship him. And what we've done is we've taken and per, kind of perverted that anointing, and now we find other things to worship, like cell phone, you know, the shoes we wear, the cars we drive. Some of us worship the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, I'm just messing with Gabe because I love him. He doesn't worship the Dallas Cowboys. But you get my point. But God had put that in us from creation for us to worship him. And somewhere along the way, patiently, with extreme patience, the devil has perverted that truth. And he's gotten us so busy doing other things that we fail to worship God until we hit a crisis. 
and then we cry out. But the great thing about that is we live our life reckless and abandoned, and we, we, we get saved, and, and really the only thing that changes a lot of times when we get saved is the fact that we're saved. We don't even change our habits. We don't even change our hang-ups. We don't even change the things we're looking at on the Internet. But we're saved now. The anointing is a living and tangible thing that lives inside of us. It takes up residence. It dwells in us. And the best of all, it remains in us. It never leaves us. The infilling, your, your gift, your anointing, for your gift can be taken. But the spirit that is in you, once you're saved, will never leave you. It can be dulled. It can be nullified. It can be put back on the, in a box and put up on the shelf. But it's still there. It's still there. And, I, and the example I've been using is, is King Saul. He was anointed to be the king over Israel. And what he did, he perverted the truth. That anointing was taken from him. And the anointing was, had fallen upon David. And we talked about, I think it was, uh, I want to say it was Bob, maybe it wasn't. We were talking about David being anointed. One of the things that we got to really focus on and remember is that when you have an anointing, that doesn't mean that you need to stand up and immediately going to have everything that the kingdom. David was anointed as a king, as a shepherd, but he didn't have, take the throne for 13 years. So that means he had to work. That means he had to go back to doing what he was doing, which was being a shepherd. But he still had the anointing. And that anointing allowed him to do things. That anointing allowed him to kill lions, tigers, and bears. That anointing allowed him to learn a skill with his sling. That eventually, even before he was king, he was able to kill one of the most powerful enemies the Philistine army had, Goliath. But he was anointed. And we got to slow down sometimes when you have the anointing. We don't have to run around and beat your chest and tell everybody, oh, you're the pastor? Oh, you're the elder? You don't have to tell everybody that. You know why? Let me tell you why. The anointing will tell them. The way you live your life will tell them. The way you walk about with Jesus Christ will tell them. The way you talk to people will let people know who has the anointing and who doesn't. The anointing that we have received from him is for a purpose. Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. 1 John 4.4, 4, that's another one of Pastor Paul's 4x4 uh, four four scriptures that he always would, would drill into our, our spirits. Says, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because... Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You don't have to have the infilling of the Holy Spirit to access the power of greater is he that is in you because you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling is, it lives in you and helps you to have the power and authority, but the infilling gives you the infilling, gives you the power, gives you the boldness, gives you the ability to overcome things. And according to the scriptures, the purpose of the anointing is twofold. To be a witness to the saving power and goodness of Christ and to overcome the world and the things that are in it. The disciples received specific instructions from the Lord himself. It's for a twofold purpose. To be a witness to, is the saving power 
goodness of Christ and to overcome the world and the things that are in it. So the Holy Spirit and the anointing is given to us for those reasons. And that's how we're supposed to operate in them, to give us power, to trample on serpents, to trample on devils. One of the things that we don't want to do is take and pervert that anointing and say, here's, the, here's one of the things that I struggle with is, you know, when, you're, when people that want to say, oh, we're going to cast out demons, we're going we're gonna to have deliverance, for example. Okay, we were given that anointing, that power for deliverance for what? As we're going along in our ministry, God said, you have the power and authority to cast out demons, to step on serpents, as you're going along in the ministry. It was never meant to set up a shop in a room for y'all to come here and we're going to perform deliverance on you. I don't believe it. I'll never believe that. We all have that authority. It's not one person. And if you have a place where somebody says, oh, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, come here and let me put my hands on you, who's getting the glory? And if people are coming to this place to get delivered, who's getting the glory? It's the people or it's the place, but guess who's not getting it? Christ. The anointing that abides in us is there to help us overcome those things that come against us. And the plan of God for our life is to cast these things out, sickness, poverty, the lack thereof, weakness, doubt, anxiety, stress, confusion, depression, oppression, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. all of which are tools of the devil. He's a patient enemy. He's a patient enemy, and we fail to realize he's been doing this for thousands of years. And we think we get saved, and the first thing we want to do is jump right out in the mission field, and we haven't even prepared, and the devil just wreaks havoc on us. And you get whipped up a couple good times from the devil, you're ready to throw in the towel and go home. That's why Jesus told the disciples in the book of Acts, wait, be patient, let things progress the way they're supposed to progress. Let the anointing fall upon you. Let the power of Christ infill you before you run out and put your foot in your mouth. Especially if you don't know the word of God. Because I, that was me. I got saved and I thought I knew everything there was to know because I had read the Bible when I was in prison from point A to point B, so I, I knew it. And I took my salvation as the opportunity to tell other people, oh, this is why you're struggling. You're a sinner. <laughs> what are you doing in your life? I don't sin anymore. <laughs> that was one of them uh, wonderful uh, conversations that I had with Charlie. And uh, he also had that gift that Pastor Paul had that he could give you uh, a chewing out and make you feel good about it in love, but we live, we learn, nobody's perfect, I'm an open book, that's why I tell y'all everything about my life so nobody can gossip about me, if everybody knows it all, what's there to talk about, amen, amen? could we all be that way, I mean, I'm just saying, and the level to which we receive and lean on the anointing is the level of the power we have to exercise when endeavoring to overcome these things. When they come against us, this is what it is. Why it's so important to not only be sealed with the Holy Spirit, but to be baptized by Him and filled with Him continually. Uh, me and Daryl was talking about being filled the other day, and one of the things that we he he was explaining was that when you're filled with something, 
if you have a cup that's full and you take a little bit out and give it to somebody, and then you take a little bit out and give it, you know, give a little to Gabe, give a little to Dwayne, give a little to Danny, well, next thing you know, your cup is getting empty. That's why it's important that we continuously stay filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. In the Greek, when you, when you read the Greek of this, it's a continuous process. You're continually being filled. You're constantly being filled. It's like charging your batteries on your cell phone. I mean, you get down to 50%, you're, you're, you're freaking out, going looking for a, a charger. Am I right? You're not going to let your phone die. You're not going to let your phone get down on empty. So why would you let your spirit? <clears throat> let me read you some scriptures. Second Chronicles 5, 13 through 14. Indeed, it came to pass as the trumpeters and the singers were as one, keep that in mind, were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And then I'm going to go to Acts 2, 1 through 4. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Remember, they were, had already been indwelt with the Holy Spirit. But now they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Then in Acts chapter 23, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. And when they prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spoke the word of God with boldness. And I didn't write this note down, but it reminded me of Jericho when they marched around the walls for seven days. And on the seventh day, the reason they had to go for seven days, it was to get them all into one accord. That's how long it took. Sometimes when we come against something, that we need to be in one accord. We need to be in one accord for diseases that people are fighting. We need to be in one accord for, for the vision of the church that we have. We need to be in one accord for everybody striving to reach the goal. Here's what I've learned. If we're all on the rope and we're all, we all have a different strand of the rope and we're all pulling in the same direction, guess what's going to happen? We're all going to go in the same direction with ease, with comfort, with peace. But if you have a few people with the strands pulling the other way, then now you have a tug of war and you have a, this spiritual battle that's going on within the body that we necessarily don't need. That's why it's important to be in one accord. That's why the disciples were in one accord. Did they have agreements? Yeah. Paul had disagreements with Peter, chewed him out, told him he was being a hypocrite. They still got along. We have to be all in one accord. And we just learned that the first thing we have to recognize is that God anoints his people for a purpose. He anointed Jesus and he anointed his children. The other thing I wanted to talk about this morning was what is corporate worship? I mean corporate, not worship, corporate anointing. A corporate anointing is what happens when more than one believer is in the same place with, and there is a singleness of purpose between them. And again, I go back to Acts chapter 
uh, 1, when they were in the upper room, or chapter 2, where they were all in one accord for a single purpose. That was the corporate anointing that fell on 120 of God's disciples and God's men. We usually only mention the 12, but it was 120. And the scriptures seem to indicate that not only is this somewhat different from the individual anointing in the sense that it affects more than that one person, but also that the corporate seems to be of a greater power. And can you see now why it's so important, church, that we as believers come together regularly as the word of God instructs us to? There are things that can only be accomplished when the people of God assemble together as one. Hebrews chapter 10 Verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Do y'all think the day is approaching? We have earthquakes, major earthquakes, tsunamis. We have these wildfires that are happening. We have morality of mankind has gone into the dumpsters and the, and the pits of America. And it makes me think, how bad was Sodom and Gomorrah that God came and destroyed them. How bad was it if we haven't gotten there yet? Can it get any worse? Can it get any worse? It's going to get worse. And it's almost a, um, a bittersweet because in order for Jesus to come back, we have to do the things that Matthew chapter 24 says is going to happen. So we have to go through some things. But it's bad. And we're we've never been more separated in this country, in this world, than the history of the world. I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican. I love you. I just want you to know that up front. We can disagree on everything the Bible says. We can disagree on who you like as president. That's okay. That shouldn't define and dictate who our friends are. And I'm not going to disown you just because you like a certain political party and I don't. I'm going to vote my conscience, I'm going to vote the Bible every time. But I'm not going to downplay somebody who isn't. That's why it's important that we're in one accord. That's why we're important that we're running the same race. We have different gifts, but it's important that we're on the same track, at least. Nowhere in the Word of God are we told to forsake being a part of a local body. No matter what the justification is, Christ, our Christians are instructed by the Lord to be part of a local body and to come together regularly and often in one place to pray, to worship God, and to be taught the Word of God. They, in the book of Acts, they were referred to as the way. It's one of my favorite things I like to talk about. Sometimes I'll, I'll post things on Facebook. Good morning, my brothers of the sword and defenders of the way. That was what the Christians were called, the way. And they would meet together in houses. And they would meet together in little compartments on the upper decks. And they'd meet to together in cellars. And they would always have these little crosses at the, the corner of the doors. You, 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 uh, if you wanted to get in, you had to say certain words. You had to have a code word almost, you know, Morse code. You had to have a certain knock, you know, hit the door three times and kick it twice. And then they'll know you're of the way. Or, or the sign of the fish was another uh, sign. Christian television is great. I watch it all the time. Online ministries are great. 
Books and CDs are awesome tools for learning, but none of these produce the results that can be manifested when believers assemble together in one place and come into agreement with one purpose. It's one thing to assemble. I mean, that's hard enough as it is. And to get everybody on the same page, that's the hardest part in my book because we all have passions. We all have desires. We all have a stake in the ministry, in, in a sense, if you will. We all have ideas that we want to see happen. That doesn't mean they're wrong. Just because somebody doesn't like your idea, that doesn't mean it's wrong. But we got to find a way to be together and come into agreement with one purpose. What is our purpose here at Light Christian Center? Shout it out. See a need and meet it. Find a hurt and heal it. People touching people. Everything that we do here at Light Christian Center is going to be a direct path towards Jesus Christ or we're not going to do it. And that takes everybody. We all have to be in accord with that. We all have to be in one pulling the rope in the same direction. And there's many ways we can do it all together, but that has to be the purpose. We have to make it our sole purpose to edify and glorify Jesus Christ and him alone and to give him the glory and to give him the credit even if it's just simply singing and praying together, as is the case of Paul and Silas. We are the temple of God through the Holy Spirit. So if God filled the temple made of wood and stone under the old covenant, and we have a new covenant based on better promises, how much more should we expect to be filled with his glory? Seeing as we are his temple, his dwelling place on earth, his holy habitation, even Jesus himself told God the Father that he was going to, giving to us the same glory that he had, John chapter 17, 22. And the glory which you gave me, Jesus says, I have given them that they may be one as we are one. It's so important that we are one. You look at the Tower of Babel in Genesis. The whole world had come together to build a tower to reach the heavens. And what did God say? Let us. Let us, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let us go down and confuse their language because of the power that they have when they're in one accord. Can we get into one accord in the church today? Can we get into one vision, one passion, one desire to know him and make him known? To know him and make him known. We come together in one accord, in one place, with one purpose. That's the anointing that manifests only when there's a gathering of believers in one place, in one accord. For the Christian to be filled with the Spirit means that they will experience an anointing of the power, of the praise and purity of those who are walking in the Spirit and are being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The anointing is given to preach the gospel to the poor. Not everybody can do that. Not everybody can go out and find people that are homeless and, and, and missing limbs and, and, you know, haven't bathed in, in weeks and months and go out and, and love on them and hug on them. If, that, if you don't have the anointing, don't try it. They will chew you up. As some of the guys that we went out on the outreach with. The anointing is given to heal and restore people. You may be able to, God may use you for an anointing to heal somebody of a sickness or an illness, but don't get it confused that that is your gift or call to the ministry, and it may be, by the way, it may be, but that doesn't necessarily mean because you were able to heal somebody through the power of the Holy Spirit that that's your gift. 
The anointing is given to proclaim freedom to the captives. The anointing is given to open blind eyes. It's given to set people free. The anointing flows in God's timing and proclaims his timing. The anointing is given to preach the gospel to the poor, to bring the revelation of God's love to those who are seeking. And, and I understand that we talk about preaching the gospel to the poor, and I think sometimes it's because the poor are in such a dire need that they have nothing left, nowhere to turn, so it's easier for them to receive Christ and receive that help and to receive that love. And it's, when you find somebody who's rich, they have the world at their fingertips, and it's hard. I was not anointed, in a sense, to go to rich people and tell them about Jesus Christ. There are people that are anointed for that. God's anointing flows to those who are hungry for a touch from his Holy Spirit. Are you hungry for the anointing this morning? We get so caught up in, in you know, Gabe was talking about Christmas this morning. And we just get caught up in the glitz and the glam and yeah, it was mentioned it was a pagan holiday, but so was the other things, like your wedding ring. I mean, there's all kinds of pagan holidays that we participate in as Christians. And you'd be amazed at how many pagan beliefs that we have in the church. But does that mean we're pagan? No. We celebrate Christmas to represent Jesus Christ of his birthday. We knew it was in the spring when he was born. We know it wasn't at Christmas. God's anointing flows to those who are hungry for a touch from his Holy Spirit. The anointing can be stifled if the people refuse to receive it from the person that God is sending it through. Things such as pride, envy, bitterness, and unforgiveness against an anointed person can prevent the receiver from accepting it. One of the things that I have purposed in the last few weeks through prayer and fasting, probably the last month and a half, is, is Lord, that pride that's in me, remove it. That bitterness that's in me, remove it. Because I don't want to get to a point in my walk and have something so silly that could be taken care of at ground level bring me down. So I, try to, I pray for humbleness. I pray for peace. I pray for the words that come out of my mouth because sometimes they come out fast and sometimes they come out sharp and I don't mean it. So I'm praying for that. So if I was fast and sharp with you, forgive me. But we have to be able to forgive one another. We have to be able to love one another. Because if not, if we carry this stuff around, church, we're never going to be in one accord as one body for one purpose. The anointing is given to heal and restore people. We need a healing in our church. We've, we've suffered some tragic losses. We've tr suffered through some, so many things as of late. And we need a spiritual healing. We need that anointing to come in and heal each and every one of us, to heal our minds, to heal our thoughts about what's next, what's going on here, who's doing what. It doesn't matter because Christ runs the church. The Holy Spirit is in charge. It's not me. It's not Miss Sandy. It's not Christian. Who's running the church? Jesus. Jesus Christ. We should be at a place in this church that whenever the pastor gets sick, that somebody can step up and run with the same baton that the pastor was running with without missing the beat. We got to put, stop putting so much emphasis on one person. It's not about me. It's about Jesus Christ. And if I ever get to a point where it is about me, then it's time to go.
Because that's what happened with King Saul. He made it about him. He put himself in a place he didn't need to be as a priest, and God took it from him and gave it to David. The anointing is given to proclaim freedom to the captive. So many of us right now are captive by so many hurts and pains that we've been going through, and we're just held in there. We're bound by it. I I was held captive by my mind for many years. I have this that's one of the reasons I don't sleep, because when I lay down at bed at night, I analyze everything. I go back to the day. Should I have said this? Should I have done that? And by the time I, my alarm clock goes off, I, get, I have these big old bags under my eyes because I've been analyzing. My, my mind was held captive, but it's set free now. It is set free. And when I lay down to go to sleep, oftentimes my wife will smack me because she's still talking. And I've already checked out. And I just say, babe, that's the anointing. (laughs) And now I can say, don't you dare touch God's anointed. (laughs) She didn't find that humorous, by the way. (laughs) The anointing is given to open blind eyes. The anointing is given to set people free. The anointing flows in God's timing and also proclaims God's timing. It's not about us. And when things don't happen the way we think they should happen, that's okay. Sit on it. Because God's doing things on the other side that you don't even see. God's removing people that are in the way that you don't even see. Be patient. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is a gift from God. It gives wisdom. Solomon, when, he, when God asked him, what do you want? What do you want? He said, I want your wisdom. I want your knowledge. And that's the same prayers I've been praying. I don't care about your, the finances, Lord. I don't care about the money, Lord. I want to be able to speak truth. truth. I want to be able to get up and talk about repentance that we've gotten away from. I want to be able to talk about the cross that we've gotten away from. I want to be able to talk about all the goodness and the things that we have and are as Christians. And God gave him all that. The anointing is a river of life that flows from the throne of your hearts and penetrates into other people's hearts. Jesus told the woman at the well, if you knew who was speaking to you, he would have given you living water. He is the living water. He's the, that's the same living water that fills the cup that we're continuously filling. That's the Holy Spirit. Are you drinking from the living water this morning? Are you drinking from the water that God has to offer? Or are you drinking from the ditches of the, of the United States or the ditches of America? The anointing is sacred. The anointing is the Holy Spirit, and all believers in Christ have the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and we must be careful what we say about our brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to say something right now. Some of y'all are not going to like, but if you can't say something nice and positive about another member of our church, please don't say it at all. Just stop. We can't run around telling somebody to their face that we love you and then get behind their back and tell other people that we don't. Especially if it's God's anointing. Can we stop? There's no place in the church for it. I'm not accusing people, and I'm talking about the church body as a whole. And if you hear me say something that is unbecoming of a Christian about somebody else, and look, don't run around and grab a whole bunch of people and say, oh, let's go pray for Brother Tim as, as a guise of you being able to spread your gossip. Stop. Just stop. There's no place in the church for it. And once, if we could get that one thing alone out of our congregation, think of where we'll go. Think of how powerful we will be if we're loving each other and not tearing them down. 
Hey, this is Christian Golden. I wanted to thank you so much for joining us today and listening to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, I'd like to ask you to do a couple things for us. The first is to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date with everything going on here at LCC. Also, you can help us reach others around the world by investing today at lightchristiancenter.com slash give. Thank you so much for joining us. God bless you and have a great day.